Well, good morning. First of all, thank y'all. Great job. I don't ever get to hear the middle school music. I know y'all don't either, and so I just, I was pumped up. It's fun, fun to see them. Second of all, thank all of y'all for allowing us to come invade your space, invade your normal service, and uh, thank you for allowing us to serve you as well this morning. Well, it wouldn't be Student Ministry Sunday without some kind of reference, of course, to teenagers, teenagers doing something stupid, and a very stereotypical teenager food, pizza. Naturally, I have a story that rolls all these things into one and makes fun of only me. And they say self-deprecating humor is a way to go. And so uh, when I was 17, I do what most 17-year-olds do. I started running my mouth. It wasn't about anything important. Well, actually it was. It was about how much food I could eat. My youth pastor had announced a big event at our church gym, which was basically all-you-could-eat pizza. And I vaguely remember the details. It's been a long time. But I vaguely remember the details as I had just started talking to my friends, mouthing off with my friends. And it was my 17th birthday, I think. And so I did what any 17-year-old would do and decide that I was going to eat 17 slices of pizza for my 17th birthday. Naturally, right? And and if that weren't enough, I wasn't going to be outdone. And so... Continue to run my mouth, continue to talk trash, and I needed one to go on, of course, right? So 18 it was, 18 slices of pizza for my 17th birthday. It was a big night, um, and it was my mouth that got me in trouble. Now, um, my overconfidence crushed me. Now, I finished the slices. I kept them down. It's not that kind of gross-out story. But I can remember of all the fuzziness of my memory so far back in the past, I vividly remember getting home that night and being incredibly thirsty. My mouth was dry. My throat was dry. It was incredibly salty pizza. And I remember being miserable, not because I was thirsty, not because there was a lack of soft drinks, juice, water, something else to quench my thirst, but because there was a lack of a place to put the liquid inside of me. It was a struggle. And so all night long, there was pain, there was torture. I was miserable. Why? My mouth. Why? My faith and my supposedly considerable ability. It was all about what I could do. And we see this when working with teenagers all of the time. They're sure of what they can do. And honestly, most of the time, they're right. But they fail to see the consequences. They fail to see the fallout from those things that they decide to do. I don't think, or I think a lot of times we as adults do the same thing. We're confident in ourselves. We're certain of ourselves. And when it comes down to it, we fail to realize what we're really putting ourselves into. And I think a lot of times we're frequently trying to prove our faithfulness. We're trying to prove our abilities to somebody else. Or frequently we're trying to prove ourselves to God. And perhaps we're we're guilted into thinking we need to act a certain way when it comes to our faithfulness before him. Perhaps we're trying to prove ourselves to those around us. Perhaps we're even trying to earn grace. Something you cannot earn. Perhaps you're trying to earn blessings. This morning we're going to talk about a guy who was extremely confident in his faith. He was certain of himself. He was certain of he could prove himself. 
And uh, so I invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, I know many of you are already there. And, and while you turn there, I want to give you just a quick background here. This is Jesus' Passover supper with the disciples. This is his last go-round with them. Uh, eventually, in the, in the next few hours after this story, he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be taken to his trial, and he's going to eventually uh, be crucified. And so this is his last supper with his disciples. And so we pick up the story in verse 21 with Jesus talking. Luke 22, verse 21. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he's betrayed. And they began to discuss amongst themselves which one of them it might be who was going to do the thing. So Jesus gives them this statement. He says, one of you is going to betray me. And I want you to get this because all of their hands were on the table. All of them, none of them knew who it was. We, of course, know it was Judas that was going to do this, knew, knew that Judas would betray him. But at the time, they didn't have a clue who it was. And so they began pointing fingers. It's not me. Is it you? Is it you? And then look what happens here in verse 24. It says, and there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. Man, that was fast. They went from, I'm not going to betray him to, I'm the best disciple. It turned around real fast. Which one do you think is the best? I think it's me. Now, is it possible? And I think so. Is it possible that they were just trying to prove that it couldn't, they couldn't possibly be the one betray him because of their awesome faithfulness? So Jesus goes into correction mode, as he does in a number of places in Scripture. And he says, the least will be the greatest. The leader will be the servant. And this carries into some very interesting things. Uh, he points at Peter. Look down at verse 31. He says, Simon, see, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Now, I'm going to call a quick timeout here. Jesus points this out to Simon. We call him Peter because Jesus called him Peter. And I want you to note one special thing here, and that's he calls him Simon twice. Now, we will get to why he calls him Simon in a minute, but for right now, just take note at that point. Uh, the other thing I want you to notice is this is a plural you. So he's speaking to all of the disciples. He's saying they're all going to be sifted. So back to verse 31. It says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has per uh, demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus drops some pretty fascinating information in the middle of this. Satan is asked to challenge the disciples. Again, this is a plural you. In other words, Jesus, excuse me, God has given, the Father has given Satan freedom to challenge the disciples. So they're going to have their faith challenged. They're going to have their world turned upside down a little bit. Or actually a lot. They're going to have their faith challenged. And it says, because he mentions specifically that once they've turned again, in other words, specifically Peter here, the, the, the opportunity is for him to turn away. If he's going to turn it back, he's got to turn away. And so he's essentially saying this very simply, you're going to have a momentary lapse. You're going to turn away from me. You're not going to be gone forever. You are going to come back, but you're going to be, you're going to be denying me. And, and, and he's, he's, he's just letting them know, hey, the denial is coming. The point where you're going to pretend you don't know me is coming. So Peter, verse 33, Peter says to him, Lord, with you, I am ready to go both to prison and to death. 
So these two statements, the one by Jesus and the response by Peter, they give us a little picture of how God deals with us. See, Peter was certain if the challenge came, if the opportunity came to deny Jesus, he'd be all set. He was ready for this challenge, or at least he thought he was. He's basically saying, I'm really extra double faithful. I'm not going to struggle in that area. And for the disciples that night, for all of us, we see this a lot of times in life. See, God is going to allow our faith to be challenged in a lot of times it's un- unexpected ways. We will be challenged in our faith. And it's not going to be in a way you think. I'm, never, I'm, I'm always amazed at how God tests our faith. He pushes us. He stretches us. He puts us in places we didn't expect to be. And we find that if we are truly faithful, if we truly trust him, we'll see our faith grow like a muscle. It's like an athlete who pushes himself. Muscles grow. Lung capacity grows. A singer who stretches vocal cords, who's able to sing higher or lower. God stretches our faith. He allows our faith to be challenged. And it's usually unexpected ways. Now look at this and see Peter. He's certain of his loyalty. He's certain if the opportunity presents itself, he would never deny Jesus. But yet, a lot of us know what happens. I'm reminded of the story of a university that hired a big-time basketball coach. He was, and they were ready. They were ready for the season. The fans were ready. The players were ready. It was, it was, they hit the big time. And so the big-time basketball coaches come onto campus, and they're ready for the first week of practice, ready for a big season. And the coach shared with some of his friends something along the lines of, they're not going to see a basketball for a week. Now, I want you to get a picture of this. We have a bunch of basketball players who are on a basketball scholarship, and they're all set for basketball practice. And they're not going to see a basketball for a week. Are they going to be challenged? Yes. Is it going to be good for them? Yes. Is it going to be completely unexpected? Absolutely. And, and that's exactly what God does for us a lot of times. There's a challenge before us, something we need, yet that hardship is frequently unexpected. But it's a hardship that's good for you. It's a hardship that is putting you in a different place. I watch as our students face challenges all the time. I see their faith being stretched and challenged in all kinds of ways. They didn't make the team. They didn't make the grade. They end up in a class that's harder than expected. They have a challenging friend relationship. They have a challenging family relationship. And it wouldn't be hard for them if they expected it. But God always challenges us in places we don't expect because he's trying to make an adjustment to our faith. He's trying to put us in a different place. Peter was certain he wasn't going to deny Jesus. He was absolutely confident of his loyalty. It wasn't an area of struggle, he thought. And we deal with these faith challenges too. And it seems like they're always in areas we don't expect. And maybe God brings a promotion into our life with a lot more work and a lot more pressure, and there's a challenge to our faith. Or maybe it's a difficult child, an illness in the family, maybe one in your own life. And the question is, are we going to trust him through that? God's going to allow your faith to be challenged. And ultimately, it's so we can trust him more. So Jesus tells Peter, he says, look, there's some hard things coming. But make no mistake, when they come through, when these hard things happen, you're going to end up being a blessing to others when everything is said and done. This stretching our faith, this challenging our faith, it makes us stronger. And a lot of times it's usually an encouragement. 
I'm going to ask you this morning, have you ever been in a situation where you've seen someone go through a faith challenge, a hard time, and their faith was strengthened? And as a, in the process, you were encouraged. You saw other people encouraged in their faith as well. Peter was going to be that guy. God allows our faith to be challenged, so we'll trust him more, but also so others can be encouraged in their faith along the way. There's a reason for it. The reason for those trials is because God wants us in a more faithful place. He wants us to see where our faith in him is not as strong and move us to a point of greater strength. It's about him, not about us. So Jesus says, you'll be tested. And, he tell, and, and Jesus' response, or excuse me, Jesus' statement, Peter's response, tell us about our challenges, the way God challenges us. Peter's response tells us a lot about ourselves, which I find be pretty common about Peter as it is. Look at verse 33. But he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go to prison and to death. Now, Peter's response is very theological. He's, he's thought through a very theological, solid response to give to Jesus. When Jesus says, you're going to deny me, Peter says, nuh-uh. He, he fires off at just a pretty childish response. He says, I'll never deny you, Jesus. I'm super-duper extra-double faithful. Does it ever feel like we don't see these faith challenges coming? Peter didn't. His confidence is that he's ready to die. He's certain if the opportunity comes, he'll never deny Jesus because he's ready to die. Meanwhile, that challenge to his faith won't look anything like he saw coming, or certainly not ready to withstand. He's not going to see it coming. See, we get overconfident in ourselves, not in him. Peter came in overconfident. Peter came, came in sure of, his, sure of himself, sure of his loyalty. And honestly, I can't help but this isn't a direct tie back. Can't help but wonder if this is a direct tie back to what he was just saying, the debate he was just having with the other disciples. Jesus, I would die for you. See, I'm the best disciple. We've always done that. I think most of us have done that at some point. We've hidden behind our pride. We've hidden behind our fears. We've hidden behind just bravado that we can say, you know what, I've got this under control. When behind all that, we're scared to death. Or maybe Peter, he was completely honest. He really honestly thought he was that loyal. And he was sure of himself. He didn't even know his own weakness. And so we, we frequently hide behind our, our own strengths, we think. And we hide, behind, we hide behind stuff that we don't even realize is a problem. And I look at Peter here, and he, didn't, he may not have even understood his own weakness. But God knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows what challenges we need, and he's going to break our pride down. He's going to make us aware of struggles we didn't even know were there. And he's going to take us to a point where we trust only in him. Look, there's no overconfidence in God. That's not possible. There's overconfidence in ourselves all the time. We talk about how great our faith is. We get caught up in how good we've acted. We get caught up in we deserve a blessing because look what we've done. We don't even know our own pride. Peter didn't. And I really believe he was sincere. I really think that he was certain of himself. He just happened to be completely wrong. I was thinking about this. We were at uh, summer camp a couple of years ago. And uh, at camp, never fails with high school students, middle school students. Camp has some kind of recreation, some kind of afternoon event. And so everybody goes out and everybody's a part of a team. And usually the teams are colors. So you have the green team and the blue team and the red team. And they take all the students and divide them up into teams. 
And at the conclusion of every recreation time, it's an attempt to see who can be the loudest with their cheer. So all the groups gather around and they're cheering the loudest and they're screaming and everybody's got a chant. Everybody's got something that they're, they're cheering so they can get the spirit stick or whatever it is so they can prove that they're the best. And a couple of years ago, I got really caught up in one particular group because they had a just, it was, it was infectious cheer. We weren't even a part of that team, but I wanted to be part of that team because they were so into themselves. And they were out there chanting, it was the blue team, and they're out there chanting, I believe that blue will win. I believe that blue will win. Imagine 150 or 200 teenagers jumping up and down, shouting, I believe that blue will win. They were confident. They were sure of themselves. Can I tell you something? Blue didn't win a thing all week. (laughs) When reality hit, it did not matter. In the daily life of a teenager, it looks like this. I'm trusting God for an A. I'm going to study a little bit. I'm going to pray a whole lot. Maybe I'm going to get others to pray with me. And then I get my paper back when I get my assignment back. It's a B. And the feeling is that God didn't come through. The feeling is, hey, I did everything right. Why didn't God bless me the way I wanted? And maybe the faith challenge is a B or a C or an F. What if he wants to have our faith stretched? Our confidence should be in him, not in how good we are, how hard we've worked, or how good we've been at being faithful. That was a picture of Peter. And I think we can identify as adults. We get challenged in an area we thought we had it in control. We're challenged in a place we thought we had it all down, just like Peter and his loyalty. God didn't give me that raise. God didn't heal. God didn't allow me to avoid that giant medical bill when my kid did some crazy leaping thing. But I was really faithful. I read my Bible. I went to church. I talked to my friends about what God was doing in my life. Why didn't God directly bless me the way I wanted? We get overconfident in ourselves, not in him. It seems like God's always picking at places where we think we're safe. He challenges areas where we think everything's fine. He went right at Peter's loyalty. Maybe for us it's an overconfidence in finances. I got this. Then the water heater comes, goes out. Huge car bill. Plumbing leak. Maybe it's a confidence in relationships. And then a friend we thought we could always count on walks out. We lose that relationship. Maybe for you it's your security your family, your personal ability, your resume, your health, maybe how faithful you really are to him. But he wants us to trust him, just him. I know I've seen it in my own life. And and there's been a point where I just just thought I had ministry to teenagers figured out. I had it all figured out. I got this, God. And then he flattened me. And I was forced to trust in just him, even in the midst of doing exactly what he called me to do in life. So, I had a conversation with a student, it was not terribly long ago, and she told me she was just trying to pray without ceasing about some issues in her life. Some family issues she was struggling through, and she just wanted to get to the point where she was praying without ceasing. And I told her, I think that's exactly where God wants us. We don't know what's coming, we don't know when it's coming, and we don't know how it's coming. But it's a quiet, submissive trust in saying, God, I'm going to trust in you that you're going to take care of this the right way. What if Peter had looked like that? Back to the story. Jesus' response to Peter can be taken a couple of ways. And you can do with this what you want. Look at verse 34. 
And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you've denied three times that you know me. Jesus says, look, I'm not baiting this anymore. You're going to deny me. It's going to happen three times, and then the rooster's going to crow. So it's coming soon. And I told you to hold on to this thought before. A few minutes ago, Jesus said, Simon, Simon. He called him Simon. This time it's Peter. I think most of y'all know this. Peter is rock. So Jesus is saying, hey, rock, you're weak. Or he's saying, hey, rock, don't be immovable in your thinking about your faith. So is he being hard-headed? Or is he just not understanding? Is he not as firm as he thinks he is? I don't know. I think both work, honestly. Then Jesus changes the subject. That's the end of the conversation. And I have this unprovable theory that Peter did not hear another word that was said at dinner that night. Yet the challenge to his faith, he still didn't see coming, even after Jesus told him when it was going to happen. God was going to move the immovable. I think I feel like I fit that description quite a bit. The rock would be shifted. And sometimes we're every bit as hard-headed. God is going to challenge us to a place where we trust only in him. Peter wanted to show how faithful he was. But what was his confidence in? It was in himself. He was confident in his loyalty. He was confident in how faithful he was. But his faith was not in Jesus. There's no overconfidence in him. There's only overconfidence in ourselves. And I think most of you know the rest of the story. You know that Peter did deny Jesus three times. Then the rooster crowed. It was exactly like Jesus told him it would happen. Peter was broken. His confidence crumbled with every denial until all that chest puffing and big talk didn't mean a thing. And he feared death and he feared the certainty that he was going to end up in prison or they were going to find out his association with Jesus. God allowed that faith to be challenged to the point where it was actually in him. But I think most of you all know the rest of the rest of the story. Peter has a conversation with Jesus in John chapter 20. And uh, Jesus asks him three questions. Do you love me? And with each one of those questions, he's restored. He's renewed. And his faith is in the one where it's supposed to be. Peter went on a ride from being overconfident to having his faith shaken to the core. And then he was restored to a man who trusted in the one who was fully worthy of his trust. God is going to allow God is going to challenge our faith to a place where we trust only in him. Peter's confidence was never in himself again. And he did some amazing stuff. But from that point forward, his confidence was in the power of God. And he was a guy that because of his faithfulness, because of what he did, because of the way he honored God, he was an encouragement to others, just exactly like Jesus said. And here on Student Ministry Sunday, I have to talk about some students we've had that have faced some really hard challenges, yet their faith wasn't moved. It remained in him. They trusted in him. They knew he was worthy of their trust. They were confident in him. An injury came in sports. They thought that was their ticket. But instead, they had to trust in the one who gave them that ability to begin with. Maybe the scholarship didn't come through. And in the process, they were certain that God still wanted them to go to whatever school that was. And so they had to count on the one that could deliver all the finances in the world to do just that for them. 
They didn't know what the future held, so they had to trust in God. And their faith deepened in the process. They struggled with teachers but remained respectful because they're God's clear expectations in their life, and there was a faith challenge there. They've seen families break up, finances fail until there was only one option. God is going to challenge our faith to a place where we trust only in him. He takes away our confidence. He takes away the things that we trust in that aren't him. Those hard times, those faith challenges are there for a reason. So every time we struggle with these, we know he's in charge. And I know there's some in this room that have never heard it this way before. You've always thought, as long as I'm a good person, as long as I do the right thing, salvation awaits. But I want to encourage you, hear me now if you've never heard this before. Christ died on a cross, a death he did not deserve, a death you and I both deserved because of our sin. And our sin separated us from a holy God. And so Christ took the punishment that we did deserve so that through him we could have a relationship with a heavenly father. Because of his resurrection, we have life, that same life that he has. It's not about how good we are at trusting. It's not about how good we are as a person, but it's about what he's done. It's all about him. And God is going to challenge our faith to a place where we trust only in him. God might be challenging your faith because you have never put your faith in him in terms of salvation. You've never trusted him. That's the starting point. Peter was overconfident in himself, and he faced an unexpected challenge to correct his faith. He was challenged to have his faith in the one and one alone. God's doing that for each and every one of us as well. He's given us unexpected challenges to help correct our faith. And a lot of us face challenges that come as a shock to us, and that's exactly what God intends, so that we'll trust him. He wants to have all of us. So what's God calling you to? Is there something God's calling you to that would be a stretch in your faith like you wouldn't believe where that would be the only thing you would trust him? The only thing you could trust was just him because of a step of faith. We had a student that started a small group Bible study in her public high school. You want to talk talk about being a place where you can only trust in him. What a bold move. And maybe God's calling you to something similar. Maybe it's a challenge where you're just saying, I have to trust only him. And that's why I've been hesitant to even take that step to begin with. Take that step. Trust him. God's going to challenge our faith to a place where we trust only in him. Maybe you're like Peter. You're hiding behind something. Maybe you don't even, you aren't even aware of your own weaknesses in the process. That's the point of our community here, the church. That's the why God has us here. We can see things in each other that we can't see in ourselves. Are you going to be the one that takes the step to say, you know what, I'm going to put it all on the table. I'm going to be honest about my pride. I'm going to be honest about my struggles. I'm going to be honest about my weakness and allow others to encourage you, lovingly challenge you to a greater faith while you do the same for them. God can use each one of us to challenge our faith to a point where it's only in him. What's your faith in other than the one it should be? Your ability to eat pizza and other cool stuff? Is it in your job, your education, the things you know, even if it's Bible knowledge? Is it in those around you who always give the love and acceptance you want? Is it in some sort of security, money in the bank, safety? Is it in America? Maybe it's in a blessing that God hasn't promised. If I act a certain way, I'll get. 
is in how faithful you are. God is going to challenge our faith to a place where we trust in only in him. So what happens when all of these things are taken away and we're left with one option? He's given us all we need in his son. Through Christ, he's given us grace. He knows what we need more than we do. And that's why we can trust him because he's given us everything we need thus far. So we can trust him above all else. He is worthy of our trust. Everything else fails. He knows what's going to happen to us, just like he did with Peter. And that's why he's pushed us to do exactly what we're created for, to have unwavering trust in him and a relationship in him. So where's your faith today? Is it in one of these things that I mentioned? Is it in yourself? Or is it him entirely? I challenge you to ask him to make it clear of these areas in your life where you are trusting in him or in them more than him. And if you've ever, never put your faith in him, if you've never come to the point where you've put your faith in him, so there's be some folks here after the service that would love to talk to you about that. This is your chance. This is an opportunity to start a, tr- a true trust in him. And if you have any prayer because you've been going through some faith challenges and you just need somebody to pray for you, there'll be some folks here after the service as well. So let me, let me pray for us. Father, we praise you and we thank you that you are entirely worthy of our trust. And we can, be, we can trust you and know that you want the absolute best for us. And I pray for those who are in struggle and hard times, who are, who are having difficulty right now. Lord, I pray that they would see what you're doing in the process. And I pray that they would uh, just honor you and trust in you. Lord, we thank you that you love us. And we thank you that we made a, you made a way that we could have a relationship with you. And so, Lord, we uh, just lift you up and praise you. And we thank you for being worthy of our faith. And we thank you for this morning and those around us who have worked hard just to honor you. It's in Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen.